The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Bad question number two. Were there whales on Noah's Ark? (laughs) Can we get salvation for 500, please? This is heresy. Yeah, there's a kind of a play on words. And also an insult. <laughs> Josh may have a completely better answer. No, I 100% agree. Um, okay. <laughs> All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm Caleb. To my left is... I'm Joel. And to my left is... Joshua. And to my left is... Back around to me, Caleb. And so, by the title of the podcast or video that you're watching, you'll notice we're not covering uh, Jacob. So this is a filler. But, Joel, tell us about some some of the media stuff we got going on. So you'll notice Second Rate Saints has sprouted some wings upon the internet, and we're soaring around everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) This is a horrible analogy to start off with, and I don't know where to go from here. But we have uh, SecondRateSaints.com which has links to everything that we're doing. It has our Instagram. It has our um, Twitter that doesn't have anything on it. <laughs> uh, it has our book reviews. It has links to all of our episodes, our YouTube. Um, that's where you're going to find most of our stuff. Our Instagram, which is very active. Yeah, we, we decided to start doing more polls and, and questions and things on Instagram. So if you'd like to be involved in some of those things, then uh, yeah, that's where you should find them. Uh, follow us there, and hopefully we can hear some uh, second-rate opinions from you. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, it's a kind of a play on words. <laughs> also an insult. <laughs> Caleb, you've read something. I have. What have you read? Um, if people have paid attention or noticed a pattern, I've been talking about biblical theology for most of my what have you read. This is no different. So, according to plan, the unfolding revelation of God in the Bible. That's the title. By Graham God, uh, Goldsworthy. It's 240 words. Um, 240 pages. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Thank hey, you for being yeah. right. Hey, we're here for you. <laughs> it's kind of a short read. <laughs> hey, 230 words. It was 40, you, but... <laughs> when you messed up, we're, we're here to help you. We're here to carry you. Thanks. This is a second-rate take. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's interesting. There's About a third of it is methodology. And then the other is just like, hey, this is the general theme of redemption throughout the Bible. And so, honestly, if I had to do, like, a short little seminar or, like, a, a Bible study or a small group explaining, hey, what is biblical theology? How do you look at the Bible searching for biblical, like, how would you do that in your own practical life? This would be a good place to start. It doesn't go into the weeds of, like, all the difficult hermeneutical problems and where the, let's say, the field is stuck on some some areas and where there's contention within some people in that field. Mm-hmm. It's very basic, very introductory. It's worth a read. Um, that'd be Graham Goldsworthy, According to Plan, The Unfolding Revelation of God. The Unfolding Revelation of God in the Bible. What is the redemptive arc that he covers? Because there's a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I've heard is uh, f- like creation, fall, redemption. Redemption, mainly, mainly Exodus. Exodus, and so there's a little bit of like... His main thing that he goes through, which is only maybe about two-thirds of the book, not maybe three-quarters, but probably more, more like two-thirds, is we were cast out, and we were put into sin, into bondage. And so 
through many different, first of all, with, with Adam and Eve, and then you have, um, kind of think about the Israelites in Egypt, and then you have the Exodus, and then you have Jesus with, uh, brings us out of sin. Alongside that, it also goes how there's parallels to an ultimate coming into some promised land, into some promised relationship, and how we will be back in with God's, God's presence. We will, uh, we will partake again in God's presence. God's presence will be with us again. And so it, it kind of links those themes together into how they kind of play off of one another and ultimately compound into the ministry and work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's pretty basic, yep. but it's, it's also like at the end of each chapter and the chapters aren't very long, like there's 244 pages and there is 27 chapters. Oh my goodness. So the chapters are very short and there's study questions that are very basic and very mm-hmm. basic um, for us, like students. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's basic, not basic in that like it's like foolproof, yeah. It's the expectation of the book is not trying to be, I would argue, is not trying to even be intermediate. Mm-hmm. This is like a, this is a very down to earth, approachable like introduction it, to biblical theology. It would be good for like a small group Bible yeah. study. It, 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 it's more than James M. Hamilton Jr.'s What is Biblical Theology? That's like, what, 40 pages, something like that. It's very small. Mm-hmm. Um, that will just give you a general like, oh, this is generally what it is. This would be, oh, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's how biblical theology is done. Well, like you said, it has a methodology section in it, which is very common for biblical theologies to have. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just um, because it's a little different than kind of the what's in the mind of culture right now. Exactly. When you're not doing systematics, you have to explain why you're not doing systematics. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. uh, every now and then he'll like touch on another theme in biblical theology, and then I'll be like, oh, so this is how like this bounces off this idea, this idea, this idea. But we're not going there. So just know that that exists. It's cool if you want to look at it. Look at this book, mm-hmm. but this is the this is the theme that we're following through. That was just general bringing back into God's presence out of like an Exodus redemptive arc. Nice. It's good. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Is there a review for that one up on the not book yet? I finished it today. Okay. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Wow. Um, Talk about last minute. What? <laughs> no, I finished it at uh, like <laughs> one. <laughs> like one. No, it's Ken. Just joking. It's not a, an assignment. It was, uh, <laughs> but uh, Josh, quick answer, one to ten. How bad's the cover? Oh, this cover's awful. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Um, Josh is our our book cover expert. No, that that covers all. It, okay, I will say it's a four out of five, and all four points are because it has a Bible on it. Four out of five or four out of ten? Four out of ten. Sorry, all four points out of ten are because it's a it has picture a Bible. of a different. Book cover on the <laughs> cover. Yeah. Yeah. Um Joel. Yes. We're doing we're not we're not doing Jacob. We're doing a different, Let's different style. Let's lay down the kind of style of this episode. We're deciding to call it what thoughts in real time or something like that. Kind of a joke we made early on in the episodes mm-hmm. when one of us had a an idea or started to put together a theology on the spot, we would say it's a thought in real time. And then we'd kind of make fun of each other for doing it. It's like, oh, are you just thinking of this right now? <laughs> so I thought, what better way to test our understanding of just general Bible stuff mm-hmm. than to read you guys questions and have you answer in real time? Yeah. So I've taken these questions uh, partially from responses we've gotten from fans, partially from uh, apologetics groups and things that I follow online. Nice. <laughs> because I have a morbid curiosity about some of that stuff. 
and then partially just from searching up stuff, seeing if I can find any good questions. So I'm excited for this. I also got some really bad questions that I wrote down. So we'll see if we get to those. Those might be a, a fun lightning round at the end. Not that this is a game. It sh- I should have made it a game. Who wins? Oh, can we get salvation for 500, please? Gosh, versus Jalen versus Jalen Jeepers. <laughs> yeah, all Jays now. I don't think you're gonna win. No, or if I, I lose. That's I, bad. I lose. He just got his own name wrong. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> My coherency is going to drop real fast. Suddenly, I don't trust anything you said about that book. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So, we had a comment under one of our YouTube shorts, which you mm. should absolutely go and watch all of our YouTube shorts if you haven't already watched all the videos. And it was under the short, the Bible was not written to you, which was something that Josh had said in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. So, the Bible was written by us, not God which is already making a presumption on his part. Mm -hmm. How certain can we be that the writers understood the message that they were writing? You guys are looking at me. You guys (laughs) immediately looked at me. The question is, what is the writer's understanding of the message of the Bible? I think, okay. Hopefully that wasn't too convoluted, but I no. This question really has two parts. Yeah, there's there's (laughs) a couple things going on with the question. Yeah. Let's get into divine inspiration. Okay. Second. Let's get into the get into mm-hmm. the into the concept of how much does the author know what they're writing. Um, um, can we first explain what maybe the three fields would be that you would have to investigate to answer this question? So it'd be the inerrancy sure. of the Bible, sure, the doctrine um, of inspiration of, of Scripture, but more specifically, because okay. I don't think inspira- uh, inerrancy okay. would be the would be the answer here. Just general hermeneutics. Okay. Right? How do we how do we Study a historical document from from actual, not just historical document, but any document, even mm-hmm. modern. And how do we under how what is the method in which we actually understand it? So you don't <laughs> just grab a recipe book and think you're putting together a washing machine because you know there's a difference. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> and then the other would be epistemology. Mm-hmm. Um, epistemology would lead into hermeneutics. Those yeah. are the three that I'm thinking. Do you have a different three that you were thinking? No, I was just uh, I was just trying to see if we could define some of our terms before we even got started. Sure. Uh, um, epistemology is just the study of how we know knowledge. Yeah. So, like, you and I know that two plus two is four in this abstract certainty. But if I were to ask you, like, how do you know the tire pressure in your driver's front tire? Yeah. Well, 30. Do you know that? Well, that's what the that's the tire pressure that I put into it last week. Yeah, but you don't know that the same way you do 2 plus 2 is 4. Yeah. So. I think of epistemology as like culture's first conscious moment. Isn't that weird? As a collective? Yeah, as a collective. <laughs> the first time we ever knew anything. Um, <laughs> Anyways. Um, all of those would play into each other to answer this question. Yes. Do you... Now, I've talked a little bit there. Do you want to take yeah. the ball a bit? It, we'll pass it back and forth a bit. I, I was just going to say, it really has two aspects to the question, which is, it was written by humanity. We have to deal with that issue. And then, how do they know that they're, how do we know that they're faithful to the message? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and the first one is, was it written by humans? And yes. Physically? Physically. Yes. The, it was written by people, except for the Ten Commandments. Hey, that's a pretty cool... The first time. The first time. Before <laughs> Moses broke them and rewrote them. Yeah. Um, which you can, atheists would get into the like, we don't even know if that's correct because we're getting that from the Bible, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But at least if if we can take that for its word, 
then the Ten Commandments were written and spoken by God to the whole of Israel. So that's cool. But the actual writing of it down, like the scrolls, stuff like that, yes, humans did that. I think... I think we make a mistake of applying canonization prior to like the 300s as well. Like there's the kind of evolving of the Old Testament through editorial procedures and stuff. Not so much in the New Testament. The New Testament pretty much stays the way it's supposed to be. Um, no, it's it's the before Christ on the scene, actually more in like the intertestamental period. Um, Jewish understanding of their own scriptures was a far more interactive process. Yeah then most Christians are comfortable to admit. Yes. Now, the Christian can come along and say, um, but God's in control of all things, is he not? Yeah. So would that not bring about the text that he desired? Yeah, but if you negotiate extremes on that, you end up with King James only as 1611s. <laughs> How? That's their argument for why the 1611 translation is the word of God, is because God always wanted us to have... The word in oh, that form that has a bad presupposition, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, think that, I don't think that the argument is based off of one bad presupposition when you add onto it. Okay. The argument still stands. The it it really comes down to in the end the final product, the sixty six books mm-hmm. that we have. Do you believe that through the means that is human authorship, mm-hmm. that God inspired the words written? And if you don't, you disagree with Jesus. For the first, for the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if that's the way you want to go. Okay, fine. Yeah. But that, that is, that would be his, that was the standard Jewish thought. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. It's yeah. God used human writing. Yeah. So the guy, cool. the guy is right. Humans but it was wrote by it. us, not God. Yeah. yeah. Like, sure, in like a very technical sense, but normally when people say that, it's this like, well, God had very little or to nothing to do with. It's funny that he includes himself in that process and not God. Isn't that weird? It was written by us, right? Which is reading himself (laughs) onto the text rather than allowing God to be written onto the text. It's weird. Yeah. But uh, Um, hopefully he's listening to this. I forget who said it, but it was uh, God wrote the Bible, but his pen was the human mind. Mm. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Second part of that question, though, which was. How certain can we be that the writers understand the message that they were writing? I guess it depends what you mean by message in which way. Well, I mean, that's where we get into biblical theology is, does every book present the same message? Mm-hmm. And are the, are the, like, let's just go with the generic easy. Do the prophets know the exact way that the prophets, the fulfillment of the prophecy that they're writing is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Or do they write a prophecy that they, that they see mm-hmm. and then... Outside of them, God has a divine plan. Yeah. That he's working with their limited knowledge, and he sees the event coming to fruition. And so they don't know how the final, the fulfillment of that prophecy works. And so the answer to, does, does the, does, did the author know? Not really in that sense. Mm-hmm. But then there's other senses where it's like, yeah, but like, typology, some, some typologies the authors clearly knew. Yeah. Others, yeah. maybe not. And typology like, just being a pattern of yeah. growing... And, I think the two examples that I would go to that are closer to the end of did they have a clearer picture of it mm-hmm. would be Isaiah and Daniel. Mm-hmm. They had very close approximations of what that would look like. The suffering man, the, where he was born, sure. what he, the ministry he would do. Um, on Daniel's case, the, mm-hmm. the, the son of man stuff, him ascending into the agent of days. Some of the 
more explicit moments. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do an entire episode on the Sign of Man. That'll be awesome. What about yeah. Jonah then? Would Jonah have known the result of his prophecy or him prophesying to the people of Nineveh? Jonah's super interesting because... Is that considered a prophecy or no? Well, the way he presents it, it is. Mm-hmm. God simply tells him, hey, go tell them this, and if they don't repent, I'll destroy them. He yeah. changes the words and goes, you got, thir- uh, what is it, 30 days? 40 days. 40 days. 40 days, and then God's going to kill you. And so because he changed the prophecy, mm. he is proven to be a false prophet. That's pretty cool. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a prophet about Jonah the other day, and uh, he said... He thinks there was already something going on in Nineveh, that God's judgment was already upon them, that they were already yeah. sick when Jonah got there. Either a plague or mm-hmm. there's probably, like like any big empire, there's probably a couple things happening all at once. Yeah. Um, I think the, the one that I've heard the most was a plague or political upheaval. Yeah. But I, I don't think that that would cause mass generic repentance. And also there's no key, there's no indication that they were just going to repent to to a and become monotheists. Yeah. The, the, the text doesn't even indicate that. Yeah, it just says, So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And he said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And that was chapter three. Yeah. A few verses in. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, yeah. then we'll call that uh, the answer to the first question. Yeah, so. it's just to like round off the <laughs> edges there is each of the scrolls. God using human authors mm-hmm. interacts with the method of inspiration yep. and the method of authorship on the human's part differently. Yep. There's different genres. There's different methods of him telling them the message. Like with the prophets, it's direct, say these things to this people. Whereas with the Genesis scroll, it's mm-hmm. a story of people over time and stuff like the mm-hmm. history of Israel's becoming. And mm-hmm. so it's like, that's a that's a very different way that God inspires. And then Proverbs is just proto philosophy wise band sayings. Yeah. Well, this actually spills into another question that we have, sort of about hermeneutics. Cool. Um, how can we take the Bible seriously when it speaks of people living nine hundred years? If it's meant to be taken symbolically, then how do we know what else in Scripture is meant to be taken symbolically, and not literally pertaining to Jesus? What do you mean by literally pertaining to Jesus? I mean, I, I can only do my best to interpret the question. So sure, if this is enough. not what the question means, I'm so sorry to the original poster. But how do we know? Um, how do we know that what we're reading is not uh, a cultural thing? And yeah, it's not, not bound to only history and continues into Christ. Right. I, I guess he means mostly the Old Testament because yeah. that's why he would use the 900 years thing. I mean, um, to be honest with you, might be showing my liberalism here. I think that the, that the first 11 chapters of Genesis... Are tribal revisionist history that blurs more into epic, epics and not epic to myth, mm-hmm. um, and then you, with Abraham it starts to blur out into what would what would be their closer understanding of their more recent mm-hmm. um, ancestors, and you begin to see how it becomes far more close to where where we see reality. If you think that answer is reductionist, I'm talking to the listener. Now. If you think that's reductionist that he uh, called one to eleven myth. Listen to our creation episode because we go really yeah. deep into that topic. Um, yeah, people people don't like that. I, I I struggle with that answer to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's my the counter to even myself for for when it's like yeah that's crazy. It's like well, God is already using the language that they understand and and all of that. And, yeah. 
and terms they understand, with laws they understand, with legal proceedings that they understand, why would he not also, if he's going to re-identify, give them a new identity, if Moses is going to give them a new identity at this at Mount Sinai and all that kind of stuff, why would he? Why would they also not partake in uh, tribal revisionist history for mm-hmm. identity with their relationship with the gods and all that yeah. kind of stuff, or God in this case? Um, and that's why there's so many ties to their understanding to these. Mm-hmm. The, the the covenant at Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, is because it's to parallel with those. That's, well, that, that's my answer. Josh may yeah. have a completely better, more conservative answer. No, I 100% agree. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. the, similar to what Caleb was saying, is the Israelites are coming out of Egypt. They're slaves. They don't have a history. They mm-hmm. don't have a religion. They don't have a society. They don't have laws. Mm-hmm. They don't have a creation story. They don't have tales of wisdom to learn from they need all that and so at sinai they get all of it yes they do still have the god of abraham isaac and jacob so they would still have a pseudo lineage yes i don't know i just disagree with the part where you say they don't have history because they very much do they do but it's fractured it's 400 years they've been ingrained with the egyptian mm-hmm. story and god specifically points out that he does not follow he did not choose them because they believed in him yeah. But because he had chosen them. But there also the doesn't promise. appear to be significant overlap between Egyptian histories and Israelite histories. So it's not like if they were to create that story within mm. their Egyptian context, you would see more overlap. So well, I don't know if I... That's the Genesis 1 point that we make in the creation episode. Yeah, so, I meant more than yeah. that, but yeah. whichever. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would just need more. Like, I understand that's there, but I would just need mm-hmm. more evidence to the, Yeah. To answer that, that guy's question, though. Mm-hmm. Specifically with the 900 years thing, and I, I think that's where the, the question is coming out of, because that's the only yeah. piece of example that he lists. That would be our answer for that specific example. I think mm-hmm. you can see parts of, well, let's, let's use First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles as well. Those are both historical, historical documents. Mm-hmm. But only until modern history yeah. did history try to, I mean, arguably not even modern history does this very well, and some of them openly don't try, to ch- achieve um, objective understanding of humanity's past. Mm-hmm. Histories all throughout human, the human past, everything yeah. had, they told history for specific points. Yeah. Um, and so you even see that with the difference between first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. They, ha- they yeah. highlight different things. They emphasize yeah, different yeah. points. And so the Bible isn't just, isn't written to satisfy the historical very factually based mm-hmm. Western postmodern concept of facts. Yeah. That, now that being said, it doesn't mean that it just makes up stories just like any more than any of medieval recounting of anything in the medieval world mm-hmm. was just made up stories. Those are reflections of real things that actually did happen, yeah. Yeah. but they're told in that culture in the way that they understand and the values that they understand with the stories that they're trying to understand to, to, to let's say propagate. Yeah. So, yeah, the to f- again to further your point through historical research through reading the other literature of the times of the people in the area the ancient Near East and stuff like that mm-hmm. you get to see the notes and the similarities between the structures. Mm-hmm. We've brought it up in multiple episodes, but like, how do I know how to take? How do I read the law of mm-hmm. Moses? Well, you're supposed to read it like a law code of that time, right? So Hammurabi's law code, suzerain vassal treaty covenant, stuff like that. You look it up, the history of the time. How did they write laws? Oh, some of the laws are word for word. 
yeah. crossed over mm-hmm. with the 900 years thing specifically, right? Like how do we, before the deluge, the flood, mm-hmm. people are living to 900 years. Why is that? Well, if you go to Assyria and Egypt, their lineage for their kings, their kings are living 20,000 years. Yeah. And then it says the deluge happens, the flood, mm-hmm. and then nothing. They're, they're living normal lifespans. Yeah. Um, and part of that culturally was kings expressing their greatness. Mm-hmm. And so it, it means that the ages don't necessarily mean the age of the individual. Yeah. But they're, they're spreading, they're, 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 their ages are the way they are for a, a they're trying to convey a point. Yeah. Um, and in the biblical text, that might be a different point they're making, but you see the same thing. The increased age limits before the flood. They're making a point about the person, not necessarily how long they lived. Yeah. Um, and when you read the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you have to look for what do the people at this time mm-hmm. think? Why do they write this way? And we have lots of historical stuff on that. It's, it's and that the, helps you find out what is this specific piece of the text saying. It's the yeah. whole counter between... It's, it's funny. People who don't know historical background, conservative or liberal, sometimes they'll fight over what is symbolic and what is not. Some may not believe that that actually happened, while others do. But they'll both go, yeah, this piece of text is speaking literally or metaphorically or symbolically. Because yeah. they know the historical background. Generally speaking, this is this is this is sounds more accusational than I think I'm trying to come off now. But generally speaking, people who don't know the historical background haven't done haven't done the legwork. They are like, well, you can't just say that's symbolism and that's not. Mm-hmm. And that's metaphorical and that's real. Yeah. It's like, well, if you do the background work, show you, your work. Yeah. If you yeah. understand, if you understand how that culture functioned and how they tied in symbol and myth and all that, mm-hmm. you would learn why that has tones of symbolism. Yeah. That is, let's say, like normally a historical fact, but super like brought up and changed and morphed to portray a very specific point. And yeah. so some of the historicity was sacrificed to prove a theological point, which was yeah. very common. That's it, it's it's. I understand why people go, why are you interpreting this metaphorically? Like you, you need to have it because, because they understand you need to have a consistent hermeneutic. Yeah. Like you need to actually read text yeah. consistently. But um, when you're familiar with how the text, well, the culture that the text was originally written in, it's, it's not just a, you're throwing symbol this time and then yeah. you're throwing history the next time. The other problem with that viewpoint is they're using two words to define a thousand things. What I mean by that is they'll say it's either symbolic or it's literal. It's like, well, it's not symbolic, it's poetic. It's not symbolic, it's proverbial. It's not symbolic, it's prophetic. Dramatized. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not symbolic, it's dramatized. It's not symbolic, it's narrative. It's not symbolic, it's, it's psalm. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, how is this prophecy literal? It's like, well, that's not what prophecy means. That That's not... It, it doesn't word. easily fit into our Western postmodern... Yeah concept of facts yeah are, are, are to be honest with you are limited epistemology about the bible just in general i don't think it's necessarily limited i think it's we just can't different. know <laughs> well, no yeah, be, be, people like commonplace now like, like yes. if you're like if you're gonna go to the let's say the the philosophers of, of today they'll they'll have well-rounded robust epistemologies mm-hmm. but even myself it's things are yes or no and maybes and those are the three categories <laughs> and yeah. that's it um, yeah, and it's it takes a lot for someone to wrestle with any idea, and then go, 
okay, everything points in this direction, but I don't factually know that. And and seeing that there, it's it's not necessarily always a dichotomy. Sometimes there's a third or fourth or fifth mm-hmm. viewpoint mm-hmm. or seventh well, or it, ninth. It's it's evidence like the perfect evidence for this. I think is the is the fact that we can't agree on his on histories. Yeah. There'll be eight different versions of this of recording a historical account. And they'll go, well, which one's right? And it's like, well, that's not how history's done. Mm-hmm. Just avoid Herodotus. <laughs> Herodotus is awesome. What's, how do you I know mean, it's true? It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, if it's epic and it's written by Herodotus, mm-hmm. avoid it. <laughs> it's awesome. I love his but... explanation for the pyramids. It was a system of uh, pulleys and levers. Or um, <laughs> it's like, That's all he says. What does he awesome. call a, hip, uh, a hippo? Doesn't he like compare it to something that doesn't even have the same like anatomy or something? Like, yeah, it's close. He, he does a bad job. It, so the idea is that he was too scared to get close to it, yeah. <laughs> and he tried to explain it from a distance. So he doesn't understand what an alligator is. Um, that was it. He says, "Yeah, it hinges from its lower jaw or something like that." Like he thought the whole bottom of the alligator was its jaw, which is like I can see you'd understand that. Yeah. It's a whole thing. I don't know. I don't know much about Herodotus. Well, okay, before you guys yeah. answer this more, because it seems like you're already falling into this question. Okay. Can Christians question their faith without being seen as weak Christians? And how would one do that? Well, the prophets do it, so I hope uh, <laughs> I hope we're okay. <laughs> Here it is. Were the prophets Christians? <laughs> Proto Christians. I think this is. I think this is the way to do it. Um, if you have doubt in your faith and your belief in God, Jesus, the sacrifice. If your doubt leads you to him, it's good. Mm. It's part of the process of learning. You've reached the limit of your knowledge. You're asking questions that you haven't asked before, and you're going, I don't know what to do. But if in that doubt, if in that worry, you're going, hey, God, I need I need help. You're praying about it. You're reading the Bible. You're going to a pastor. You're saying, hey, I, I got a problem. Yeah, I'm having a crisis of faith. But if you're going to those people, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But if you're in a moment, if you're in doubt, and you stay in doubt, Mm-hmm. for a long, long, I mean, years, and you're just sowing confusion into other people's lives, mm-hmm. spreading that doubt to other people. Like, hey, you don't, I don't know what this is. You don't know what this is. Nobody knows what this is. This yeah. is a problem. Nobody's talking about it. And you're sowing that discord, yeah. then that's a problem. Then you're, you've got that issue of doubt where it becomes weak. Yeah. But strong Christian struggling with what we do not know the mystery of the faith yeah which is something that even the greatest pastors and theologians talk about the mystery the things we cannot fathom within the faith if you're going to the right places if you're going to god for it it's good well somebody christian tries to work out their faith with fear and trembling let's say Mm -hmm. typically are going to come out on the other side as better christians so i don't think moments of doubt are catastrophic in that way exactly can I say, I have two points. Yeah. yeah. One is, and I think I still believe this, mm-hmm. courage is to fear what faith is to doubt. You can't have courage unless you have fear. Yes. You can't have faith unless there actually is doubt. Yeah. Because then it would just be knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's, that's, that's one point, is it's not, we shouldn't be surprised when we have some some doubt in the room well we have faith hmm. however my second point the mount of transfiguration jesus comes down um meets sees his disciples who are discussing with uh mm-hmm. father and his son his son's demon possessed mm-hmm. 
and there's the whole where your demon, your disciples tried to cast this this demon out of the sun, blah 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 blah, and it's like ah, how long must I bear with you? Don't you know that this kind can only be cast out with uh, prayer and fasting or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, as if he's taught them this already. Although fasting isn't in the vast majority of texts, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't matter. Prayer. Um, and so. Uh, Jesus turns to the father, the, the, the father of, the, of the, the boy, and goes, anything is possible for those who believe. Mm-hmm. And the father responds, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. So what I've taken from that, what I've gleaned from that, at least, is that belief and unbelief will exist in the individual. The father exclaims, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, but all of his actions show that he, he has faith and he acts on his belief. Mm-hmm. So having unbelief, having doubt, mm. it sitting in there and like wrecking you from the inside, yeah. um, clearly like that dad. Yeah. Um, fair, but his actions proved to be built on his belief, and I think that gets into more the the, the back end of what Josh was talking about with if it leads you to God. Yeah, keep going. It's mm-hmm. what. Um, well, it's, it's also it, gets, is it Saint John of the Cross who talks about the long night of the soul? Yeah, um, and that would be that whole like, I don't. He, he, you know, you know those moments where it's like three yeah. in the morning, four in the morning, and you're just like, I don't get this anymore. Nothing makes sense, and it would just be keep having faith, just keep praying. Well, and Psalm eighty-eight, the 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 dark song, Psalm where it ends with darkness is my only friend. It's just the, the guy is just like God has forgotten me, blah blah blah. But the psalm starts with him praising God, mm. and he's in the depths of despair. But it's still a psalm to God. Another thing that was said in the movie of Life of Pi, I don't think it was in the book, but the uh, the interviewer asks Pi at when he's an adult, he's like, "Did you ever doubt?" Mm. Right? He says, "Yeah, but I think moments of doubt show you how faithful you are." Yeah. Um, mm. and it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another little fun reminder is like, yeah, the mo- the moment of doubt does not define you. Hopefully that answers that question. I, I think so. That one got a little bit more into like personal thoughts on faith than, mm-hmm. um, than probably some of the other ones will. So I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit okay. by asking you some bad questions. <laughs> yes. And by so, bad questions, we mean. If you were tasked with creating God 2.0, oh. how would you make him or her better than God 1.0? This is heresy. This is 100% heresy. And I couldn't believe that nobody was like, this isn't it. Okay, I want to ask crazy. this. Wouldn't God 2.0 be the one that would task you with the... Hmm? Wouldn't he be the one that is the one that is tasking you with the task to create God? He would be the greater God. Here's the thing. He would be the actual God in that argument. I believe, move mover. I believe it just there's... has no understanding of Anselm's ontological argument whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> or... Which is funny because Anselm's ontological argument has use. Yeah. <laughs> right here. Yeah. Maybe not everywhere else, but right here it does. <laughs> yeah. Anselm's ontological argument that God is that which no greater thing can be conceived. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. That. That's, that's, that right? that's one. That's one of that's the premise. premise one. The yeah. premise. Premise two is something that effective. It is a greater and. Being in existence is greater than a being that, that only potentially exists. Yeah. Therefore, God exists. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. if you read through the propositions, it becomes actually a pretty good proof. It's yeah. it's logically coherent yeah. and and concise. Plantinga's version of it 
is much more understandable to the modern Same audience. Same thing with uh, yeah. William Lane Craig. Yeah. It um, is one of those big ideas that we've had as a as Christian intellectuals um, that has just been refined more and more and yeah. more. Um, and also has fallen apart more and more. Well, it's, and it, it's, it's a sleeper. So it's slow, poorly yeah. represented. Yeah. And it only works on PhD philosophy students. And this 30, guy, apparently. 30, <laughs> when they're 80 biking down a road and yeah. they go, oh. What was that guy? I don't remember the guy's name. I forget him. Long time. Started with anti Christian. Yeah. Last name started with an F. Thought it was yeah. the worst argument he'd ever heard. <laughs> and then on a bike ride on a sunny day, he just stops. Oh. I understand. <laughs> it's crazy that that's how much work it takes to convince one guy who believes he's right. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyways, this one's even better. So this is question two on the bad question. Did sheet we that answer that question? No, we refused to because it was heresy. Well, yeah, we of course we answered it. We said God uh, 2.0 would just be God 1.0 because hey, God right. is a maximally good being. Which yeah. means any improvement on him would actually diminish well, God 1.0, meaning that he already is God 2.0. Well, and the, the <laughs> and the other thing I was, and I go back to it, God 2.0 is not even God because he was to be the taskmaster. He would also be created by us, which would make him much worse. Because the person that gives you the job to create God yeah. would be God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Can Anyways, it actually only works in a multi-universe uh, chain of events. I, I don't think it works at all. <laughs> well. Thought it was a bad question. We're, we're giving more time this question than this guy. Guys, I just with. really wanted you guys to talk no, about. No, I really like this question. Bad question number two: Were there whales on Noah's Ark? <laughs> <laughs> it said two of every animal. That's true. It was a mammal, and the Bible adheres to our uh, wait Latin wait. subspecies. Wait, so you know how? What was it? Was it whales that they have leg bones? Yeah, it's called vestigial fins. Yeah, they they evolved onto land and then evolved back into water. Oh, That's you just the idea, showed your heretic. <laughs> no, here's the thing. This question came. I looked into the guy who who uh, posted the question because mm. you know the age of we enlightenment. Start our fans. Um, yeah. Well, I, this wasn't a fan. This was just some guy. Was this he from one of your uh, apologetics webpages? Yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> some just turned into just cesspools. Um, oh, heresy. Of, yeah, like that's where heretics go to die, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. No, like they're just arguing with each other. It's yeah. sowing strife among brothers. Did you find Arius really there? Disappointing. Yeah, quite a few. Okay. Um, I found some guys who are non-Christian but only attribute validity to it's some whole thing, uh, Knights of Nesedim or something like that. Like, yeah, remove for anti-Semitism a couple times from this group chat and just keep coming back. It's crazy. Anyways. Sound like yeah. you have a good time online. I, I was so angry. Like, I was there studying, and Caleb could say it, too. I was just I was looking at the screen. I'm like, this can't be happening. Like, this can't be. There's one guy that I, I think is my nemesis, but he didn't even know about me. Okay, let's get back to the question. Um, yeah. Whales. Were there whales in Noah's Ark? So okay. this, this exposed a subcategory of apologists that I didn't know existed, which was young earth evolutionists. Okay, can young I, earth evolutionists. I'm about to make their argument for them. <gasps> okay. Whales that evolved onto land and then evolved back into the water. When they evolved onto land, that's when the flood happened. They go on the ark. That's yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. Uh, see, yeah, I'm not one of them, but I know. Yeah, and then they took the uh, the layers of the fossil record and said, "Well, this is where the younger evolutionists said the flood happens right after this or right oh before my this." Goodness. Wait, and then they put it in there. Flood. That's why they evolve in. 
They yeah. just they get <laughs> legs. They get <laughs> legs just so they can drown. <laughs> they just jumped off Noah's Ark. Yeah. <laughs> I I have a question. They were they still like were the blue whales still the same shape but with a lot, like elephant legs? Almost exactly. Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool. Still eating plankton. They went into the water every season to like get a mouthful of plankton, then came back on land. Yeah. Yeah, I'm from a, a, a kind of a seafaring region of Canada, and there's a whale pavilion I used to go to every once in a while, and they had, like, the, the legs on the back of it. And uh, there was little write-ups on, like, those used to be legs. And that was a huge challenge to my faith as a kid, so I thought this was really interesting, that there was hmm. now young Earth evolutionists. Yeah, that's uh, a whole... We've been in this game for a, a bit, and... Never heard of that. They never heard of that. They had a post on Answers in Genesis. I don't understand. What? Oh. Yeah, I found. Anyways, it's he a whole thing. He lets them on, but he won't let like us. He <laughs> let us. Yeah. I've been emailing Ken Ham. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, oh. Wow, hey, that's awesome. Do we want one more bad question, or would you like to one go more back bad to question? Let's a go. bad question okay. would be nice. In several scriptures, the writer speaks of God blessing his people and keeping his covenant to them for a thousand generations. See Deuteronomy 7, Psalm 105, uh, Exodus 20, Peter uh, 3, um, just, oh, 2 Peter 3, okay, I misread that. Um, and here's the question. How many generations have we been on earth? Okay. <laughs> this no, guy no. thinks it's counting down. You go, should I have kids? Are they going to be under the, in the blessing of God? Oh. <laughs> I guess fair question. No, here's a, you know what? It's coherent. It is a coherent. I actually question. rephrased it, it is a little logical. bit. Oh, so yeah, it so, was how many generations have we been on Earth since our God put us here? Ooh. Which is a weird way to phrase it. Yeah. Um, well, from. I didn't think you had the resources to like count the generations through <laughs> you the Bible. You know what, Josh? Take it away. It'd be awesome if you were like, well, no. In Luke's gospel, he has the generations from Adam to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Where so he skips some people. Yeah, who cares? Um, so what is it? It's seven. Is it fourteen, fourteen, and fourteen? Yep. Um, then that's <laughs> guys. We got plenty of time. Fourteen, fourteen, fourteen. That's twenty-eight, thirty-two. Thoughts in real time. Oh my gosh! I... <sighs> And anyway, no, you're, do, you're, you're doing a great job, Josh. So, yeah, keep, so, keep going. I don't want to answer this question. Basically, if I wasn't and counted those correctly, according to the uh, 6,000 year young earth creationists, there's been 42 generations up to Jesus, and then however many generations from Jesus to us, which means we've got 900 something generations, which is a lot. Oh, um, man. But this question is. This is going to turn eschatology yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. And this is so... <laughs> if if young earth creation is real, but I, I don't think it is. I love the, the image of someone reading through Psalms, though. Yeah. It'd be like a thousand generations. Well, no. Is, uh, that, is that a lot? No, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, I will punish you for... I will uh, punish you for to the second and third generation. Yeah. The sins of the father to the but son. I will bless you to the thousand. To the th- for yeah. a thousand generations. But that's... Now, to the reader. This is mm-hmm. what we were talking about in the first second question about like how do you read the bible how does the auth how do we know what the author is meaning in the text do they know what the message is mm-hmm. which is if you learn hebrew and literary structures the 1000 year thing mm-hmm. is a mark of when you hear that when they're like for a thousand generations that's for a really long time until the end of time so you see a lot of that in apocalyptic literature as well for a thousand generations yeah is that's it's just hyperbole 
hyperbole. A, thou- yeah. a long, long time. Yeah. To the end of the days. It'll take me a thousand years to pay off my mortgage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you'll be dead by then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's what it means. It doesn't actually mean a thousand literal generations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you don't believe the Bible then? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in the comments underneath. <laughs> yeah. Didn't take um, much to be added to this chat, by the way. This, yeah. uh, no, I mean, you, if, if you think counter to that, mm-hmm. think of Hebrew 1 and 2 at a university, mm-hmm. at a Christian university. Yeah. And no, any university. Any I think university. That's, that's, well, well even, even like a more fundamentalist university, and you'll still find out that that's oh, yeah. like, like that, the most fundamental. And be like, yeah, no, that's hyperbole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's not a bash to you. That's just one of those things that when you, when you get into the history, when you get into languages, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is obvious. Yeah, I, I think it translates pretty well into English. I don't know. Yeah. yeah so our, our next question actually has uh, is from a fan Ooh. directly to us via email at secondratesaints at gmail dot com, um, and they're joining our wonderful conversation specifically on um, chiasms. Ooh, our favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> um, and it's it's cool how they. Uh, Kind of phrase the questions because they kind of alluded to the structure of the podcast. Do you guys disagree about the clarity of chiastic structures in Genesis? There must be a difference in degree concerning how clear the chiastic structure is inside the text. And I imagine some Bible scholars have seen chiastic structures where there maybe aren't any. Is this the case? Uh, just because I feel like I've had to do it multiple times. Joel, can you tell me what a chiastic structure is? I'm not going to tell you what a chiastic structure is. <laughs> um, but I will tell you that... Um, when we're all together and when we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, things like poetic structures, you'll notice even in our conversations, some of us give more more credit to poetic structures or to literary structures mm-hmm. than others do because some of us like to see the Bible in different ways. Yeah. Okay? And that's not necessarily saying that the chiastic structure is there or it's not there. It's I, just some of us attribute less some, weight. Some of us buy more into literary criticism. Yeah. And that would be a big part of that. Colton doesn't like it as much. And, yeah. and that he's not here, but he wouldn't mind me saying that. Like, uh, sometimes we say, hey, look, it's a chiasm. And he goes, well, show your work, because I'm not just going to believe yeah. you that it's there. And one of my professors, I don't know if they said this to you guys mm-hmm. when you went to school, but one of them said, when people are new to theolo- theological study, mm-hmm. they see chiasms everywhere. Yep. And then you have to, like, rein them back in and be like, no, that's not actually a chiasm. Here's a chiasm. Yeah. Point to the story of Noah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like obvious chiasms and then there's ones where it's like i see i think i see an allusion to a chiasm here and it's like probably not mm-hmm. um and there's a something there's a similar analogy that the professor made with medical students mm-hmm. where when they go to med school and they like see symptoms of diseases in everybody yeah. and they don't actually have symptoms they're just terrified because they've just learned about a 14 million diseases and every disease symptom is coughing yeah and they go to a grocery store and everybody's coughing. And they're like, I'm surrounded by sick people. It's like, mm-hmm. no, that person might have just got some, you know, some dust. It's like a second year <laughs> counseling student. Yeah. Which psychological deficiency do I have? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's like, sorry, no, whatever. Maybe. Well, yeah, it's just like, like, am I bipolar? Am I, yeah. you know, do I have ADHD? Everybody has ADHD. Yeah. Right. And it's. It's the similar thing when you're new to theology, you're like chiasm, yeah. chiasm, chiasm, chiasm. And it's like, well, yes, there's a lot of them, but mm-hmm. like there probably isn't a chiasm in Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I just like seeing the chiasm in Corinthians and I'm yeah. writing a Bible study around a chiasm in Corinthians. Is it really there? 
probably if a more legitimate theologian sat me down and was like, here's how the structure of Corinthians looks, mm-hmm. probably isn't one. Yeah. But yeah. Until proven otherwise, you're like, that's cool. And I'm going to go with it because no <laughs> one said neat, otherwise. It's, it's a neat structure. Yeah. Nobody said there isn't one yet. They just haven't said there is one. That's true. Yeah, we look for patterns. And when somebody says, hey, here's a new way to discern truth out of God's word, and you're a first-year, second-year Bible college student, you're like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there are things nobody's been able to teach me how to read, and now I can look at that and say, oh, that's a structure that was intentionally placed there to make a point. Which there are many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we could list off more than, like, 10 together, probably. Mm -hmm. But And then they're everywhere in the Psalms. Yeah. Like two verse chiasms, the, the smaller the chiasm is, normal. This is a general yeah. rule of thumb. Yeah. Not a, yeah. yes. The smaller chiasm is, the better chance that that's actually author intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's very difficult yeah. to write a theme based chiasm over half a letter. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And, and, and that doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't happen because I think it, we there are some examples of author intended chiasms mm-hmm. that are large. But generally speaking, the larger it is, and if the more the more you see of larger ones, the prob- probably the less likely it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So to answer the the the, the fans' question is, is, yeah, all of us disagree on how yeah. how valid some are, and that's that that's just a question for biblical scholarship yeah. as a whole. Mm-hmm. And there are ones that everybody agrees with. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, there are standards. Yeah. Um. So this actually bled into a, another question that I kind of just. I just wanted to ask because I came up awesome. with the question. Is yeah, your guys' biggest fan, me. <laughs> um, based off of this, sort of based off of this, what advice would you give to uh, people who are just starting to talk about theology for the first time, just starting to negotiate, to doubt, to make a case for their own faith? Um, how, in your personal life, have you dealt with disagreements in theology? Right. Where you want to you want to save the friendship, but it's just so hard to debate them. And, and what do you do? What do you do with theological differences among friends? What level of different differences are we talking? Because it can be any you want. It can be little things like chiasms or it can be big things like, I don't know, predestination or, you know, if we get more into the, the heretical stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, you know, views on the end times or, or things like sure. that. I don't know. This is this is one of those reasons why I there are some theological points that I just don't bring up with people. Um, because I know the friendship is worth more than me being right. Mm-hmm. And for and to another point, no matter how much we argue, they're never going to agree. Do you have one of those with me, Caleb? No, you're good. You're okay, good. good. Um, <laughs> we're good, I think. So I, part of it is just that that balancing act of I don't need to I don't need to be right about everything all the time. Yeah. Um, and you need to you need to acknowledge that it's going to be a two way street too. Yeah. Um, if it's only a one-way street, that's not a great friend. Um, that doesn't mean like, you know, disown, run away, don't talk to them at all. It's just recognize that, well, they're, they're going to be a difficult friend to talk about theology with if they only accept and have a good time discussing theology. If you agree with them, that's not Mm -hmm. a healthy person to discuss theology with. Well, and that's, and that comes to a point that, uh, in culture, just in life, people are dealing with a lot on the internet right now, which is mm-hmm. the with the polarization of culture, people are falling into tribes. And that mm-hmm. if you disagree with them, you're the enemy, you don't talk to them. Yeah. And that's a bad way of living life. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to 
your friendship matters more than the ideas in your head because those ideas might change over time. Arguably should be. Yes. Yeah. And so like, for example, like, you know, when I work in a secular workplace, mm-hmm. like at a restaurant, I don't agree with 99% of the things those people say, mm-hmm. do how they live their life. Yeah. But I love them. Mm-hmm. Right. And as long as you can have a discussion and separate the ideas from you, yeah. right. And go, we're battling over this idea, but that mm-hmm. idea isn't me. When the idea is attacked, defeated, whatever, mm-hmm. that's not me being attacked. That's the yeah. idea being attacked and being mm-hmm. able to separate yourself from the ideas you hold. Not in the like, like my belief in God, I separate that from myself as if that's not me. Like that's not mine. No, I believe this wholeheartedly, but I can still discuss the idea mm-hmm. without it going, oh, like this person hates me because they disagree with me. Maybe they yeah. just disagree with the idea. Yeah. Well, it's it gets into one of the, one of the things with difficult, it's like converse, confrontation mm-hmm. in any sense, but specifically uh, like theology and Bible stuff. It's mm-hmm. people's religion. People believe this is what God is. This has God's biblical backing. And so yep. things can get heated real fast. Yeah. Um, and so the easiest way to do, to deal with, to, to harness that, that, let's say, probably wrongly placed uh, mm-hmm. righteous anger um, is to just go after them like in an odd ad hominem way. But launching off of that, just continuing a little bit, um, one of the things that... Uh, my dad actually told me and it forever just continually grates at the back of my brain is most for most people when there's confrontation you're going to think think three things and you're going to forget about the fourth purposely the first is oh they're they they just don't know the facts yep and so you just go over the facts where do we what are the points of disagreement and that is the most healthy way to, to handle a disagreement but once you realize that you both know the facts but you disagree on interpretation then you go, oh, they're just stupid. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy. Nope. And then once you realize, oh, they're not stupid, and they know the facts, you go, oh, well, they have malicious intent. Mm-hmm. They are actively corrupting the word of God. And then we just conveniently forget about the fourth thing, which is, well, fourth and fifth, the fourth thing, which is maybe I'm just wrong, or maybe there's multiple ways to view this topic, and I yep. don't know enough. Yeah, there was another um, online intellectual thinker. He had this system with his friends mm. that they, they avidly disagree with each other, this whole group. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, we know that we are all smart in this room. So when you say something that I immediately jump to, that's a stupid idea. We need to calm ourselves down and think, remember, they're smart and they arrived there somehow. I don't know how they arrived to that thought. But they arrived there somehow. Mm-hmm. And maybe through talking to them, they can step me along that path on how they came to that conclusion. Yeah. And we can discuss that. Yeah. Treat everyone as if they know something you don't. Yes. That's yeah. Which is one of Jordan Peterson's point. I wasn't going to call myself out on that. Thank you. <laughs> that was a whole new original thought by I you. Was, I came up with that right off the dome. <laughs> Stand up straight with your shoulders back, Joel. Yeah. Now you guys oh, are getting these zingers. <laughs> Stand up straight with your shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good how you can ruin a piece of advice with taking one word off of it. Hopefully Anyways. that answers that guy's. Uh, no, that was your question. That was my question. Yeah. I thought that would be a nice way to wrap up the episode where we talk about um, things we disagree with and things we agree yeah. with and trying to answer questions and, and all that. And I think a good way to uh, to kind of end off this episode 
would be to read Titus 3.9, which we have on a board in our recording uh, area studio place. We're going to say the studio, recording studio. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The word of the Lord. <laughs> and the, the, the key there about, mm-hmm. like, have nothing to do with them, yeah. that's specifically somebody who is purposely dis- disseminating the foolishness, mm-hmm. the dissensions, and the diversions. Yeah. If, you're, if your natural questioning is going, I don't know what I'm doing, and it's causing people to question, that's yeah. not necessarily bad. It's the person that's purposely going out there and saying, hey, this is bad. We should divide. Or, yeah. or it's something where they have heard the rebuttal. They haven't been able to, to take apart the rebuttal. They should adopt the rebuttal into their belief because they know it's right. Mm-hmm. But they find the alternative understanding to be far more interesting, and they just want to have that tensious dialogue. Yeah. It's it, not healthy. It, it's similar to the, the doubt question before. Yeah. The person that purposely goes out, disseminates the doubt, and then... Mm-hmm. confusion and to other people and brings them into that dark place instead of finding a way out of it. For sure. Yeah. So that's kind of where I want to end the episode. Oh, that's you get right to decide where we end the episode? Hey, you got the computer with the button. Oh, you're right. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good, he, he just trumped you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I don't think we can say Trump on YouTube. Or maybe it'll boost our ratings. Who knows? Oh, maybe. Wild crowd on YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everything we said in here doesn't fit that demographic. <laughs> no, there's some fun. We've hit some fun points. We've hit, yeah. The whales were cool. I enjoyed that. I'll be reading on that some more. We might do more episodes on this if we get more questions or if you'd like your question answered in a podcast format. We are more than happy to do that. We have our, our social medias, of course, that we're going to be active on um, if we ask questions in polls. Who knows? Maybe you'll show up on the next Thoughts in Real Time episode. Thanks for listening this far to the podcast. And uh, if you've gone this far, then you might as well hit a subscribe button or a like button or a follow button or whatever button's right below your audio player. And uh, God bless. (laughs) Have a good week. Satyrs literally exist, but we just choose to ignore it because the NIV is bad.